What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Logos Podcast. I'm Max. I'm Joey. I'm Sam. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about Aristotle's four causes. Aristotle's four causes? Is that what you said? Yep. That's it. You know who that is? Is Did you make those up before... We started recording? Or? Exactly. That's it. Um, I wrote the whole physics that shaped Western civilization right before we started this episode. Okay. Well, this should be this should be fun, dude. Hey, I'm not going to lie. Me and Joey, we're both standing because our last wow. episode, one was standing, one was sitting, and it did not work out. And I know Joey's <laughs> not going to sit, so I was like, okay, I'll just stand. I will not be sitting down. You think, good, you think more clearly when you're standing up and pacing. It's That's true. true. I mean, I can't say I've witnessed Joey. He cares about this and he paces while he tells you guys things. So <laughs> it's kind of funny. Hey, you, funny you say that because Aristotle, that's how he used to teach his students. And that's who we're going to be largely talking about today. Right. He'd be he'd be walking with them as he was yeah. teaching them. Right. That's what was. I think um, ed, the word education comes from educare, which means to pull out of. It said that like Aristotle, he would like that's kind of what he would be doing. He would be pulling their students out of themselves and teaching them all while he was walking with them. That was kind of the yeah, thing. Yeah, leading, leading them out towards truth. Yeah, something exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Thank you, Max, for that. That was You're very, welcome, guys. very you If, you, if y'all would read more, if y'all would read more, y'all would learn these things. 10 out of yeah. 10 for you, dude. Thanks, bro. <laughs> Appreciate Okay. So uh, talking about Aristotle's four causes, which sounds like probably a pretty obscure topic, but hopefully by the end of this episode, our listeners will kind of understand that these are yep. actually kind of pretty important concepts. Uh, um, that's my question. Why are they important? Why are we talking about an old guy from like whatever, <laughs> 300 BC? Why is it important? Well, here's here's my answer to that question. Aristotle, as we know, a lot of Western civilization in general has its roots in ancient Greece, which is where Aristotle um, lived and wrote and thought. And really, our whole project of scientific inquiry and the pursuit of truth was highly influenced by his thought and really one of the central kind of pillars of his thought were these four causes and they are found where are they found four causes and yes. the physics and the, and the physics, physics. Yeah. yeah aristotle's physics yeah um that's right so so these are kind of um foundational to the whole pursuit of truth that really western man has embarked upon and and they kind of remained the foundation of all scientific inquiry even up until like the 1600s when things started to change yeah. a little bit which we'll which we'll get into but basically the four causes a cause okay well let me ask you this you dudes you ever hang out with little kids before yeah uh, one time i was like a little teacher so yeah i've been around you did yeah you did okay so what is the what is the one question that little kids are always asking why <laughs> do you want to play nintendo ds oh wait no that's, not. <laughs> <laughs> that's the third most asked question well i, I yeah. guess it would be switch nowadays huh yeah nintendo switch? i don't even know what it is now no it was de- it's definitely why <laughs> yeah why? It's why, right? why why this why that right so that's like and this is one of the things we've talked about in our classes and stuff and as we've gone through aristotle's writings and something that he really keenly observed was that this is a fundamental question that really all human beings um, especially children, because they're really um, look at the world with a sense of wonder, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, but all human beings ask this question: Why? This is the question we ask to yeah. try to discover truth, to try to discover the causes of things that we encounter. Right. Well, and, and uh, to add to that point, yeah. I don't want to cut you off, but uh, like obviously, we as a society now 
when we're born into this, we kind of jump into this like foundation of scientific inquiry that we all kind of take for granted, right? We know certain things based because we're just taught it in school, right? Whereas Aristotle, he didn't have that luxury. Like he's literally laying the foundation for everything. So that's why when we say, well, it's such a basic question. He's asking why. Well, it's because, I mean, I don't want to say nobody did that before him, but nobody really like dove deeply into it. And now here we are with Aristotle, who's really trying to take it and, uh, and run with it. And, and previous yeah. to him, you know, the Greek thought a lot of times emphasized the material world, right? Whereas Aristotle most focused, focused more so on like knowledge and um, external causes um, that cause the material world, right? Which is, you know, like where, whereas, you know, you got Heraclitus with fire, you know, um, you, you have Aristotle talking about like different modes of existence, yeah, so a lot of the a lot of the Greek philosophers who predated Aristotle were kind right. of convinced, like a lot of contemporaries are, that the world is just made of material stuff. But Aristotle was one of the first to really kind of, as he's probing, you know, the universe and trying to understand it. He's the first, right? He writes the Physics when he's, which is his kind of grappling yeah. with the physical world that he sees, and then he writes the Metaphysics, which right, means right. like meta is the Greek uh, beyond or after or behind, right? And so he's he starts to examine the immaterial world, the immaterial underpinnings yeah. and foundations of what we can see. But um, we're talking about the physics today and these qu- this question of why and what his four causes are, his famous four causes. If you study philosophy, you've probably encountered them before. Um, but his four causes are, what he said that is that you can answer the question why in four different yeah. ways. Mm-hmm. There's kind of four different aspects that you can look at this question of why, really with any given thing. Um, and I guess I'll list out the, the four causes that he enumerates, and then we'll kind of go through them one by one. Does that sound good? Do it. So the four causes, as listed by Aristotle, are the efficient cause, the material cause, the formal cause, and the final cause. Um, and so he says that really with any given event or thing that you find in nature you can find an efficient cause a material cause a formal cause and a final cause Mm -hmm. for that thing and um i think we should dive into them talk about what each one is who yeah we start with efficient i think efficient is probably the best place to start mainly because it's the it's one of the easier ones to understand right yeah Uh, so like a definition i guess just for efficient causes an agent or thing that brings something about uh so if you for example, uh, an efficient cause of you listening to this would be your parents, right? Your parents are the reason that yeah. you exist in a way, right? Because without them, you wouldn't exist now because they, you came to an existence through uh, actions that they took. Yeah, I think this is uh, the efficient cause is, like Sam said, the agent or thing that brings something about. This is what most people think of when they think of a cause, right? Right today, like yeah. like it's the domino effect, like it's right. one domino knocking another over. Why did that domino fall? Because the one before it fell and knocked yeah. into it, right? Right. Yeah. It's like the immediate thing that you know moves something to bring a new to bring a change about. Yeah. Um, and I think we wanted to like talk about the example of maybe a tree, right, Max? Were we going to talk about like a tree? Um, yeah. Like what, so what would like, be the efficient cause? Co- like, okay, so the question. Why does a tree grow? Like this natural thing that we find in the world, we can ask this question, why does the tree grow? And we can answer it according to its efficient cause. Right. So one of the examples of an efficient cause of a tree would be um, its embryonic stage, if you will, of being a seed, right? Uh, but that seed is comes into pollination or comes into, um, into its fertility, 
through an insect or some type of bird or maybe some type of worm, right, that fertilizes the seed so as to be able to develop into a tree. So the efficient cause of a tree, we could say, would be this insect, bird, and or worm. So Yeah, or like a farmer, right? Even like a farmer. Right, like, right. Somebody, so yeah, we could, somebody yeah. chilling the soil. We could ask the question, why is that tree growing? And we could legitimately answer it, well, because a farmer planted a seed there or because, like Max said, a bird or some animal, you know, pollinated a seed or planted a seed there, right? Um, right. Uh, another example that we could talk about is, like, the efficient cause of a chicken existing is a rooster and a hen mating and then bringing this this chicken into existence, right? Right, yeah, that lays the egg. That's where the egg comes from is something prior to itself. That's the right. big thing, right? It's something prior to itself. Yeah. That's, that's, what we're, that's what we're getting at. That's a good point. That's a good point. So that's the efficient cause, and I think that one's pretty easy for most of us to understand. Now, the second, the second things that he talks about, it, the second type of cause that Aristotle talks about is the material cause. Um, and this is also probably going to be pretty familiar to us, but, okay, so we can go back to our tree example. Sam, if I ask... Why is that tree growing? And I want to answer this question according to its material cause. What, right. would, what would we say? Well, there's, I, I think there's the best way to, to describe it is there's a couple reasons why the tree is growing. Yeah. Right? So material cause for the tree would be the water, the soil, uh, sunlight, right? Those things yeah. that, that yeah. go into play with photosynthesis and how the tree kind of comes about and grows. Well, the material co- Oh, and wood, right? Because wood would be right. what the tree is uh, going to be made out of ultimately. So that, those are all material causes of the, of the tree. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, yeah, like we said, the material cause, um, the tree is growing precisely because of the stuff out of which it is made. Right. right. It's kind of the like the physical and chemical processes and mm-hmm. matter that makes something up. And that's also Aristotle observes a legitimate way to answer the question. Why is that tree growing? Right. Right. Um, well, and uh, uh, more to that point, a material cause are things you can sense and touch, and your senses are going to be able to abstract things from them, right? That's how yeah. you can know a material cause. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's good right. point. That's a good point. Um, okay, so that's the efficient and material cause. Now, the, this third type of cause is a little bit different. It might strike some people as new, and um, but I think once we kind of talk about it a little bit, it will be evident that it's real and intuitive. So the, f- the third type of cause that Aristotle identifies when you know trying to answer this question of why something is happening is the formal cause and the formal cause has to do with a thing's form or nature or essence right and the and the form of something or the nature of something or the essence of something these are all pretty synonymous terms that signify the principle within a thing which makes it to be the type of thing that it is Yes. Right. It's or it's like the principle within a thing by which that thing performs its characteristic function. So like a tree, right. when, when we're trying to answer um, the question, why is that tree growing? Well, we could we could legitimately answer this question. Well, because it has the form or the nature of a tree. Right. 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 That is precisely the type of thing that a tree does. Something with tree nature, if you will. Yeah. Um, Gross. Right. A a tree has wood. It has bark. You know, it has roots. Um, A tree also goes up. Right. A tree gives shade. Um, It tends towards the sun and its roots go outwards. Um, And so it's interconnected. It's uh, dynamic and it's living. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And these are the sort of things that make a tree what it is right and it right. gives us its its formality its form its nature yeah. um, because right. of, of these things so. yeah so well, these I, are go ahead well I, I was just thinking like 
a, a good way to how, how to describe this is like if I would take a piece of paper and I would draw a tree, right? You do the two lines and then yeah. you do the, the little circle around it with a little bubbles <laughs> coming out, right? Yeah, classic. Well, what I'm doing there is I'm pulling the form out. I'm trying to show you the form of a tree because that's not a tree itself, but I'm yeah. showing you what I'm trying to describe through like this picture, right? Because I'm, I'm kind of grasping at this form, this idea of a tree, right? Yeah, that's and, really interesting and, because... And it's also go ahead. another thing too that I want to make about this observation, Sam, is that... These these apply these four causes apply universally, right? So if you drew, even if I didn't know, let's say I went to a different country, right, and I didn't know the language, but I drew the tree out on this piece of paper, they would know exactly what it is because they know the form of this thing. Yes, yeah, that's a great point. That's a right? good point. Yeah. So this these forms are also not only are the not not only are they that which makes a thing to be what it is, but they're also the principle of intelligibility within things. Right. Ooh, big word. Right, there. Big word. Ding, but ding, it's ding. like it's like that by which I know a thing to be what it is. Um, yeah. I think another good example of this is like a dog. Um, so you could ask the question, why is that dog running and barking and jumping and scratching its tail and or like chasing its tail and and peeing? Yeah. Um, well, that's because it has a dog nature, because it has the form of a dog, and that's precisely the type of activity that's the characteristic activity of something that has yeah. a dog's nature. And I know this sounds a little bit kind of like, um, it sounds kind of like I'm just saying, well, because it's a dog, which, <laughs> which is, <the> <laughs> which is really the right answer. And, and it seems like it might not be very important to kind of make that distinction and, and clarify that. But we'll, we'll talk a little yeah. bit more in a bit about why that's probably an important thing to understand. Also, so that's, I want to add ahead, one please. more thing with yeah. the formal cause. So, Joey mentioned that it's the the formal cause that gives it its intelligibility, right? Yeah. yeah. I also want to emphasize the fact that the formal cause is what gives a thing unity. Does that okay, make sense? Talk about so that. like so like a tree is a tree not because it just has wood, right? Because we've seen just wood. Like plywood, a two by four is not a tree. Does that make right. sense? A yeah, tree is a sense. tree insofar as it has it gives shade. It has leaves, right? Or it's at least going to give leaves. It's alive, right? It um, it has roots and, and it goes going upwards. It's not falling and rot- rottening, you know? Like these kinds of things are will make a tree a tree. Right. Yes. I like that point. That's two for two for you, Max. All right. Good job. <laughs> Thanks, ding, bro. ding, ding. You yeah. guys are on fire today. <laughs> um, and I do just want to clarify um, because everything you said was accurate, Max, except that. Yeah. Well, it's the f- it's not the formal cause of a tree that's give that gives it its unity, but it's the form of the tree that gives it its unity and the form of the tree. And when we answer when we ask this question, why, then we can use this formal cause, right? Like that's yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, so sure. so a form right, and the so formal cause. No, okay. I might take back what I said. One for two, Max. <laughs> Hang in there, do your stuff. <laughs> no, it was still good. It was still good. Let's talk about the final cause because yeah, this this is the this most is important. important. Max, tell us what a final cause is. Okay, so. The final cause is the ultimate end or reason for the thing, right? It is, or you could put it that for the sake of which the thing is done, right? So it can be said that the final cause is simply the purpose of the thing. Why is it, right, that this thing does what it does? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does make sense. So like everything in existence, as Joey preluded this episode with, he said that all of these, all of these four causes um, exist in all things at any given time. Right. Yeah. So let's go back. Let's go back to the tree for a second. Yeah, we can ask. Right, okay. We can go back to the tree and we can say, why is yeah. the tree growing in the way that it is? Okay. And, and, well, and when we answer that according to final causality, what would we say? Because that's what it is. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Because <laughs> that's kind um, of the answer. 
Yeah, I know. But the reason the tree or what the why the tree does that is for several reasons. For one, it gives us gives off oxygen. Right? It gives life. It's a okay, place of habitat for other birds. Yep. Does that make sense? They nest there, they live there. Um, another reason why it does that is to um, fertilize the ground. Does that make sense? It fertilizes the ground. Um, yeah. A tree also exists to 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 uh, give man um, like a source of living through again lumber, right? In a certain way. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, uh, go, go ahead. Sam. Well, I just I think you're missing the point a little bit. I don't think everything you're saying is true, uh, but I want to build off this. I think the final cause of a tree is not to provide a place for birds to live or for provide wood for people to use. It's to be a tree, to, to act as a tree does, to foster as a tree, foster life in itself, right? To grow up and to have this form of a tree and to be a tree, essentially. That's what that's what the final cause is. There's an intelligibility to it that's making, it's, it's moving towards uh, an end, right? It's moving towards something that's going somewhere. It's, it's going to the end of being a, a fully grown tree. Yes. Okay. So I think I need to butt in here because I think you're actually both right in your own special way. You're both yes, so special. Yes, we are. Thank you. Just Thank so you, Joey. Unique what a mediator. Snowflakes. No, but you're both right. So <laughs> the, final co- the final cause of something is that for the sake of which it does something. So when we ask, right. why is this tree growing? We can legitimately answer because this tree is in a sense striving or tending towards becoming a fully grown and mature and flourishing tree, right? Right. Like Sam just said. And even though it's not doing that like human beings strive towards things, even though it's not doing that in a conscious or deliberate way, like it's it's not it doesn't know that it's, you know, it's not desiring this, but it is by its nature because of its form, because it has the nature of a tree, it tends towards its own flourishing. It tends towards its own end, which is growing into a mature tree right now interestingly as max was talking about most things if not all things have kind of two final causes two ends two purposes for the sake of which they act the first is what sam talked about the first is the thing's own individual flourishing right so a tree does indeed strive towards tends toward it tends towards growing into a mature and flourishing tree but a tree also Another final cause, another end, another purpose for the sake of which a tree grows in the way that it does is actually to contribute to the common good. It's actually to right. Right, contribute to an ecosystem or even to, to, to providing you know, oxygen for animals to breathe, right? Or right. like Max said, wood for human beings to use and um, you know, build things. So, so we want to say that every, everything that exists... Um, has this this purpose and this purpose is not arbitrary it's intrinsic to the thing and because of the thing's nature it tends everything tends towards its own proper perfection and towards the good of the community in which it is does that make sense yeah it makes sense and i guess i would add maybe not add uh but just say like if you're going to take one thing away from what we're saying right now to all that things we just said, it's that nature is purposive. Nature acts for a purpose. That's right. the big thing Aristotle is getting at because right. and it, that's it, the yeah. basis for everything he's going to, he's going to move on to. Right? There's a fancy Max. Tell us what the fancy Greek word is uh, about. Cause you're our, you're our fancy language. All right, you guy. ready? You ready? Yeah. The telos. The telos. What oh, is it? Oh, I totally forgot. Right. Which, I was like, what is he talking about? <laughs> or, what is or a telos? You, you know, so, so, or when you talk about teleology, Right. Teleology the study of the yes. last things, if you want to say. Well, the you study know, of ends, things. right? The telos yeah, is, an, is an end. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, eschatology is, is the study of last things. I'm sorry. That's right. Oh, dude, uh, chill getting, out with all the words. You're getting things confused. <laughs> Gosh. Sorry, 
but no, yeah, this so, teleology, right? Yeah. It's, in, it's incredibly important. And we can see it not just with the case of a tree. Like we see this purpose-driven activity all throughout nature, right? Like a spider weaves its web for the sake of catching its prey, right? And that's, yeah. that's intelligent activity. Even though the spider doesn't consciously know what it's doing in the way that a human being does, it is nevertheless by its very nature acting for the sake of a particular purpose. Well, Charlotte does. Right. <laughs> Charlotte from Charlotte's Web. She does that's know good, what she's a good doing. Point. Um, hey, oh, so like, I do want to make one point. Go ahead. Um, when we talk, so we, we've given the example of, let's say, a tree, or we've even used birds and, and dogs as examples. But uh, now, now let's talk about man, right? The final cause of man, the purpose of his existence, is to be happy, right? Yeah. That's so what every that's what every man by nature is striving towards, right? Yes, right. So I just wanted to make the observation that this is one of the reasons that the final cause is so important, right? Because Aristotle, again, he, he speaks in the physics about, you know, the existing things, but his, his, his most important inquiry is talking about why is it that man does what he does? Yeah, that's and true. And that's the final end of man is to be happy. Yeah, and we'll we'll come we'll come back to this for sure because this is a huge point. But even just the recognition that human beings are not separate from nature. Human beings are a part of nature, right. and right. so these four causes would also apply to human activity, right? Right. Like I act for the sake of a specific end, even though I do so rationally, like with conscious activity, unlike animals yes. and plants. But I also act in the way that I do because I'm made up of material stuff, right? That's like my material cause. Yeah. I also yeah. act in the way that I do because of my form, because of my nature, because I'm a particular type of thing. I'm a human being with yeah. human nature. And I also act I, in the way that I do because my Joey, parents created me. That was my efficient cause. Yeah, go crazy. All right. You want me to go crazy? I can go crazy. Okay, maybe you, I can't say that to you because you'll do something Okay, else. all right, so all right. Just I won't go crazy. Moderate. Okay. okay, so we've talked about the four causes, right? And obviously, us three accept the four causes. And for much of history, the four causes is, like you said, upon which the scientific inquiry was built upon. And it's still yeah. very much, in, in certain ways, is, right? Especially yep. in the Catholic world, it is. Yep. And yep. scholastic period and, and beyond. But there, there was a shift, right? That, that you spoke about with modern sciences. Um, there was a shift. Can you tell shift. us a little bit about that shift, right? I can, yes. Yeah. So this is a big deal. So like, like Max said, the four causes were widely accepted, and they were the basis upon which all scientific inquiry was carried out, really from the time of Aristotle, which is like 300 BC, all the way through uh, the Middle Ages and up until really like the, 16, the 16th century or 17th century. And what happened in the 16th, 17th century is the scientific revolution. And this, this was kickstarted by a lot of different factors. Um, but one of the main kind of guys at the forefront of the scientific revolution was Sir Francis Bacon. This is Sir the guy Francis who, Bacon. What's the name? I suppose I, I should think, have said it like that. Well, do you think that Bacon existed when, at this time? Mm. That's an excellent question. I wonder I, if they, mm, like people thought of Bacon when they said his name. Like I feel I like it probably. I feel like it probably did. Yeah, probably. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> um, back to what you're saying. Yeah, now I'm hungry. Anyway, so <laughs> Francis Bacon, he was, you know, he invented the scientific method. Um, is was one of his huge contributions to Western thought. Um, but one of the moves that he made in his thought is he said this. He said, "Look, we need to stop wasting time and energy talking about formal and final causes." He says, all we should be focused on is the material causes and the efficient causes. We shouldn't spend time worrying about what a thing is 
or what its nature is or what its particular end or purpose is because those things don't really allow us to gain control over nature and learn how to use it for our advantage. What he said was we should use the scientific method really focused on what things are made of and the efficient causes that bring things about, that bring changes about. Mm. And we should utilize this in a very systematic way to gain control over nature and to begin to be able to manipulate it according to our purposes so as to benefit human life. Right. And I think it's pretty undeniable, you know, us here in the, here in the 21st century, you know, we're talking to each other. We're at different parts of the country. We're using microphones and we're podcasting and hundreds of people are going to be able to listen to this episode. Like it's pretty clear. Thousands of people are going to be able to listen to this. That's right. Actually millions one day. That's the hope. Good God. Um, but it's pretty clear that the scientific method works, right? And that Francis Bacon was yeah. a genius and that he was really onto something and that a lot of the scientific innovations and technological advancements that have, be, that have come as a result of his thought have been incredible for humanity, right? Like the, the, he's right. had profoundly positive results. And I think we want to stress this, that um, the scientific method when it's carried out within its proper limits and with an understanding of what it actually is, is an incredibly good thing. And it's a tool that allows us to -hmm. do what God commanded us to do in Genesis, which is to cultivate the earth, to learn the secrets of nature and to cultivate it and to use it and to kind of have dominion over it for our own purposes. Right. And you know, you know, previous to Sir Francis Bacon, you know, you hear of like the Renaissance era, Right. A lot of what they're what, what it was built around was contemplating the goodness of existence. Yeah. Right? The, the huge art and architecture mm-hmm. and, and, and the, the beautiful music and stuff that kind of came from this era was precisely because they took this time to sit in silence before the God. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, so when the scientific inquiry came about, all of a sudden they wanted to do a way. At least they attacked more directly two of the four causes. Right. Right. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Yeah. It so shifted the momentum of what had previously been established. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So yeah. I think this is one of the great dangers um, that has come in the wake of Sir Francis Bacon's thought and, and the scientific method and the scientific revolution that has ensued since that time is this rejection of acknowledging the formal and the final causes that are up op- that are operative in nature. Right. Right. Um, and I and if I may, unless do you guys have anything to say before I go on a little rant about this stuff, uh, I don't mean you can start. I guess. Okay. Do you if, think? if you if if you if I need to shut up at any time, just tell me. But All right, easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So Bacon rejects formal and final causality. He says we sh- we should stop paying attention to these things because they're <laughs> wasting our time and they don't give us control and the ability to manipulate nature according to our purposes well i think there's a couple of things that are problematic about that the first is is that to cut ourselves off from acknowledging formal and final causality operative in the world is really to ignore a significant part of reality it's it's really to ignore things that are very self-evidently taking place in reality and this is what i mean so bacon and a lot of modern scientifically minded people would say that there are no such things as forms or natures that are actually existent in the world right a lot of people think today kind of intuitively that 
like a dog's nature or even like human nature is kind of like a concept that we extrinsically impose upon these things that we experience. But that actually all a dog is, is just the material components that makes it up. It's like a bunch of atoms and cells and matter that make up this dog. And it's not like some nature or form that causes it to act in its characteristic way, Mm -hmm. but it's just, it's just the material cause and it's just the efficient causes that cause it to act in the way that it does. Well, I think, that's a problem, I think, because forms very evidently do exist in nature, and it's the only way that we can know things to be what they are. And here's an example of what, and and it's the only things that allow thing. It's the only forms are the only things that allow us a to know what things are, and they're also the only things that allow beings and organisms to act as unified, organic, and uh, interconnected wholes. And so this is what I mean by this. So take a dog for example. Someone might say, well, there's no such thing as a dog nature that actually causes the dog to do something, right. uh, you know, characteristic to a dog. It's just the parts out of which it, it was made. Well, mm-hmm. okay, take a dog's eye, for example. A dog's eye clearly plays a very essential and specific role within the organism of the dog, right? It's very yep. complex and it's interconnected with all the dog's other parts and it performs a characteristic function. And here's the thing. If you remove the eye from the dog, what it can so it's the same matter, it's the same material stuff. But if you remove the eye from the dog, is it going to continue to perform the same functions that it performed while it was in the dog? I'm going to go with no. Nope. No, right? Like like if you took an eye out of a dog, it would like decompose. It would it would disintegrate yeah. and it would no longer perform the functions that it performed while it was in the dog. And that's because when it was a part of this organic whole, the dog's nature, the dog's form, the dog's even soul, we could say, is a causal force that's causing all of its parts to act in an interconnected and organic and harmonious way so as to allow the dog to perform its characteristic functions. Does that make sense? And I think, I think so. Yeah. And I think, I think in the modern view also too, we reduce um, precisely because of our um, overly, if you will, scientific rationale, we yeah. think that the human being himself is made out of just like a simple like complexion of just atoms. He's just right, right. being that's just that's just a collection of atoms composed in this specific way, you know, um, with yeah, no true, if you will, formal cause or form to his existence. Does that make right, sense? Right, with no nature, with no soul, with no rational or Correct. spiritual component. Right, right, right. Um, so that's the first, I think, problem with Bacon's um, rejection of formal causality is that forms and natures are very clearly operative in the world and they do exist. And there is such a thing as human nature or a dog's nature or a tree's nature. And we need to hold fast to these things. The second problem is his rejection of final causality, his rejection of teleology, like we said. And this is uh, this is a big one. Um, and I think one of the main reasons that this can lead into problems is because like Max said, when we approach nature and we don't respect the order and the purpose that is already kind of baked into it, and we just try to take it as raw material to be used for our own manipulation and control to benefit ourselves, we always run the risk and I think have fallen into the trap yeah. of forgetting that nature, that creation is a gift that's first and foremost Mm. been given to us to be received with kind of a reverence and joy. And we no longer contemplate, right? To contemplate means to, to look at, to gaze upon. We no longer contemplate nature and wonder at it. Like, 
like like they did back in antiquity and up through the Middle Ages, a lot of us just look at nature and think that we can control it in whatever way we want to make our own lives better. And now you see people like even saying things like, even if I'm born a male, I can I can change myself and and yeah. turn into a female. Right. right. And this becomes a problem because we no longer respect quite literally the God given nature that's been that's been given to us. Um, and I mm. think this is a I think this is a huge problem in, in our day and age. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it did a good job of basically putting all that together. And I guess I don't know if, if you guys are done. We could, I kind of want to end with this idea, this this point, because just to kind of bring it all back together, right? Because we're we're obviously Catholic seminarians, so we want to talk about how how this pertains to the church. Yeah. Well, I think here here is what it is: is that it's not an either or, right? It's not either Aristotle or either Bacon. Catholicism at its best is always a both and. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's both Aristotle and both the scientific method, method right? Because the, the Catholic Church has gotten this reputation that it's anti-science, right? Yep. Which right. that comes from different areas, right? And different arguments. We don't want to jump into all right. of that. Mm-hmm. But the church has never been anti-science, right? The church is actually responsible for some of the greatest scientific right. uh, inventions and discoveries ever. But that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that it's all science. Then, oh, okay, now we're going to jump all the way into science, right? It's like, okay, well, there's also Aristotle too. There's there's final causality. There's a world that God created that that mm-hmm. made, he made that is imbued with intelligibility, and we can yeah. kind of almost unlock this intelligibility with the scientific method. Yeah, that's wow. the both working together. That's really beautifully yeah. said. Well, what does Christ says? I, I came that you may have life and habit abundantly. Yeah, he does say that. Right. That, that applies to all areas of existence. That's not limited to just. Um, the materialistic uh, worldview or an idealistic worldview, right? Or if you want to say a nominalistic where you just say, this is what this thing is. It doesn't actually have some sort of nature. No, God, Christ came into this world to teach us all, to teach us truth, truth itself. And that comes in many different forms. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I, I do have a couple more things to say before we end, even though those were both very well said. The first thing is the importance of final causality. Um, I just want to reiterate this because what we what we ultimately want to say as Christians, what we believe and what we see to be true with our reason, but also believe to be true by faith, is that the ultimate end of all of creation, everything that God has made, both you know plants, animals, and human beings in a special way, is to reflect and share in the glory of God, Correct. right? And right. ultimately... The world has come forth from God who created it and is supposed to ultimately return to him, reflecting his glory and imaging him, having been glorified through the redemptive work of Christ. Right, right. Christ recreated the whole created order to, yeah. and, now, and now it is redeemed and so that it can share in God's glory in a preeminent way. And then the and second is, thing is this. Oh, go crazy, God. Max. I was going to say that one of the, this is the final cause is actually one of the ways too we know um, that God has perfect knowledge, right? Or that we're able to share in that because we know that the nature, the way nature operates has a purpose, right? And man as yeah. a rational creature is able to um, to see that and, and want to live that out fully in his own life, right? This ordered, purposive life. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's that leads me right into the last thing that I was going to say and probably the last thing we should say lest we ramble on too long. Namely, <laughs> that one of Aquinas's proofs for God's existence is founded upon the obvious observation that nature, that creation is purposive, that it does act for the sake of ends, that it is ordered and it functions in this harmonious whole. 
And the only way that that could take place, given the fact that like a dog can't think for itself, the dog can't, you know, understand its, its own nature and act with consciousness and deliberation, there must have been a mind, an intelligent creator who imbued the world with this order and with this intelligent this intelligibility and with this harmony and that is the basis upon which this final causality this teleology these these ends towards which everything in nature tends um this is the basis upon which aquinas um yeah sets out one of his arguments for god's existence which i think holds very well so we need to we need to defend it i think yeah that's that's a good point and i think if you agree with aquinas if you agree with aristotle you gotta smash the subscribe button. <laughs> Boom. You know, yeah. There's purpose Something behind that. that smash. Purposively smash <laughs> the subscribe button. <laughs> well, guys, I hope you all enjoy this episode on the four causes. Um, they're important. And uh, I hope you all found them as formative, as, as informative as we did. Um, you all stay tuned for the next episodes we have coming. We have some heat fresh off, fresh out of the oven for you all. Fire. Yes. So um, as always... God bless.